Hello and welcome again to Lost in Science. We're still recording at home, but we are producing the show every week nonetheless with a whole bunch of new stories about science for you this week. My name's Stu and on the show this week, I'm going to be talking about, I just saw um, the new Wonder Woman film the other week. Have you seen that yet, Claire? No, I haven't seen it and um, I've heard mixed reviews, I have to say. I'm going to be totally honest with you, Stu. It's been mixed. So Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I don't know that, if I'm going to see it. That's that's one word to describe. One thing that happens, though, is we discover the origin. I remember back in the cartoon of Wonder Woman, she had the invisible jet. Do you remember this? Oh, yeah, of jet? course. That was big. So yeah. the, the, origin, the origin of the invisible jet is in this film. But I'm going to be talking about something else that's been made invisible through the wonders of science. What? Not the wonders of magic. <laughs> uh, invisible wood. <laughs> invisible Can't wood? See, yeah. Can't see the wood for the science, you could say. Oh, my goodness. Um, I mean, are these invisible trees? That is this an invisible forest? Is that How far does this go? Oh, look, it goes all the way to the top. <laughs> Follow the money. No, it's uh, it's it's a new it's a new method um, for for making wood into a completely different product than we may have ever thought of Whoa. before. Okay. Uh, but more more details on that later. It's it's actually similar to something you will be familiar with, but I'll explain what that is later on in the show. Claire, what have you got for us this week? Uh, well, Stu, um, it is a new year, but unfortunately COVID-19 is still with us. And um, this week there have been um, some reports about um, the Russian vaccine, the Russian COVID-19 vaccine um, has finally released um, their, phase three, their phase three trial results in the Lancet. Um, I don't know if you read about this. Um, this will be, I guess, you know, another vaccine for us. Um, but I thought, you know, when I heard that, I was like, oh, really? Okay, this is interesting. So we're going to have a look back at um, what we know about this vaccine, what the results say, um, what the research says. And, you know, um, there's been a couple of question marks about whether we should really trust it because of the way they've gone about it. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I just wanted to have a bit of a read about that um, and bring you my research. That sounds great. I know people have been concerned. Now, let's not get confused here, but people have been concerned because everybody was rushing their vaccines, <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> but you are talking about... The country of Russia, of course. I am and the talking they have about developed. the country of Russia, and um, I will. I mean, I'm going to talk a lot about this, but they've named their vaccine. I mean, it's not like the AstraZeneca vaccine or the Pfizer vaccine. I mean, the coolest thing about the Russian vaccine is that it's called Sputnik V. Sputnik V, as in Sputnik Five, is that what they've? Is that is that? The you will have to listen connection? to the story to find okay. out, Stu. Um, lucky you're here, and we're all here. Lucky we are all here. Uh, can't wait to get into it. So stay tuned. last few years, uh, people around the world have been getting very active about the amount of plastic that we produce in the world. And a lot of people are trying to reduce the amount of plastic they use 
day-to-day. And this is especially true for single-use plastics like food wrappers and packaging, which is usually thrown away after the food is eaten or after the package has been opened, creates a waste problem as plastics, as we all know, do not break down quickly. They take years and years and centuries in some cases to break down. But there is a century-old alternative which doesn't seem to get much attention, even though I'm sure we all know the name of this product. It's called cellophane. Oh, now, you, cellophane. You know, what's, you know what cellophane is, right? Yeah. I used to make a lot of crafty things with cellophane in primary school. Yeah. Um, and cellophane was invented in the early 20th century. It's made from reconstituted cellulose, which is the basic building block of plant tissues. And you've probably heard of cellotape, right? Yes. Guess what cellotape is made out of? Is it reconstituted cellulose? It is. It's basically cellophane with sticky on one side. Whoa. So the actual brand of cellotape is made of cellophane. Wow. So the the cellulose itself comes from wood pulp or from cotton, though you can use other plants. You just need the cellulose. That's the part of the plant that you're going for. So you can pretty much make it out of any kind of plant. Uh, They make it into a solution um, called viscose, which is then treated and formed into sheets, which Mm. are called cellophane. Or you can turn it into fibres, which are called rayon, which you can then weave weave into fabric and you can make clothing and fabrics out of this same stuff. Now, the big advantage of cellophane and rayon over plastics is that it's biodegradable. Because it's mm. just cellulose, it breaks down in the environment quite quickly and it's because it's made of plant-based materials. So they can also treat cellophane and rayon to increase its water repellency so it doesn't break down as quickly uh, and that slows it down a little bit, but it still decays once it's in the environment. If it's in a soil environment or even if it's in a water or marine environment, it will break down over time. So right. we don't have that... We don't have that problem with the microplastics and the floating, you know, islands of plastic garbage in the ocean, which, you know, would be a good thing. I think we can all agree on that. Yeah, we could do with a little less plastic. So cellophane seems to be an obvious solution for food packaging as a replacement for plastic. It was actually used for that purpose when it came on the market. It was one of the first uh, products that allowed people to see what was in the packet when they bought food. So they could they used it for packaging meat and all sorts of different things. One downside to the production of these reconstituted cellulose products is the use of carbon disulfide in the manufacturing process, which is quite dangerous for humans. So the workers in the factories could get exposed to this, um, this chemical. It's not good for them. But they have developed newer processes that improve the manufacturing. They actually can reuse the chemicals in the in the manufacturing process. So they don't have it as a waste product. They actually recapture it and use it all over again. And one of the advantages, as I said, it's transparent to light. So you can see through it. Now you might think, well, if you can see through cellulose, has anyone ever tried to make other products out of cellulose for other purposes that you could allow light to pass through. And if you think about a plant, a plant needs 
light to pass through its cell mm. walls, which is what cellulose is, to capture that light to turn it into energy using photosynthesis, the process that drives most of life on Earth. Mm -hmm. So the cellulose itself is obviously transparent. You might think if wood could be processed in a similar way, it could become transparent too, which would greatly increase its potential as a building material and open up all sorts of mind-blowing possibilities of using yes. this transparent wood. The reason wood is not transparent is that there's a substance in the wood called lignin, which okay. is the stuff that gives wood its brown colour and stops light passing through. So all wood has a, a sort of brownish colour, depending on what kind of wood it is, and that's from this lignin, which is in the wood. And is lignin a type of protein that's quite structural? Is it Do you, do you need it for, for structure? Or is it just the cellulose? No, no the, the, the lignin actually strengthens the wood as well. So the more lignin you have, the stronger the particular wood is. Over the years, people have tried different methods for removing the lignin from wood so you get this transparent wood. Now, that would also weaken the wood at the same time. Would it weaken the wood, Stu? How much wood would weaken the wood <laughs> if you remove all the lignin from the wood? But basically what they've tried to do is immerse sheets of wood in various solvents. It's expensive, it's time-consuming, produces a lot of waste chemicals because you've got basically these huge baths of solvents to, to get rid of once the lignin is removed. A team in China have just published a brand new method of treating wood, which doesn't remove the lignin from the structure of the wood, so it's intact. It just removes the colour from it instead. Now, what would you think you might use to remove colour from something? Bleach? That's exactly right. That is exactly <laughs> what they used. They basically have used a method, and they published this paper in January in the journal Science Advances. They described this method of painting hydrogen peroxide, which is H2O2, onto sheets of wood of various thicknesses, but the one that worked best was about 0.42 millimetres, so about half a millimetre thick sheet of wood, which was, you know, sliced very carefully. Then they left them out in the sun. Yeah, and right. And the bleach, the bleach did its work, and it really is not a very high-tech solution to, the, to this problem. The, uh, the combination of the bleach and the UV radiation bleaches the chromophores, which are the, the substance in the lignin that gives it its colour, so that they're not coloured anymore and they don't reflect or diffuse any light. So the light passes through the sheet of wood. Hang on, they hang then... on, hang on. I have a question. So what, can we all just try this at home now? If you've got a thin enough slice of wood and, uh, and enough bleach, um, you could probably give it a go. What they then did, though... And this is this is the, the the techie part of it, really. Yeah, is that they treated the the sheets of wood with a polymer that improved the light transmission. So basically, they filled in all of the spaces in the wood with a with another substance that allowed better transmission of light through the sheet. So it's actually almost as clear as glass. And if you if you hold it up in front of something, you can see through and see whatever's on the other side of it. Best of all, in this process, the wood 
retains its structural properties because they haven't removed the lignin. Wow, they've just cool. made it they've just made it invisible. Oh so it's as strong as wood and it's lighter than glass, which means you can use it as a building material directly. You could basically hammer a window onto your wall when Whoa. there was a hole in the wall. Don't need to build a window frame. Makes it hard to open the window, but still, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> and is it is it really as clear as glass? It's like a dirty windscreen, almost. Right, That's okay. how clear it is. So there's photos that I, I saw in the actual paper that they published, which show, yeah, you can definitely identify, you know, flowers and plants and stuff through the glass you can see through it quite easily because it's not as smooth as glass it's not Mm. quite as um transmittive but there's any number of applications um in building and other things that you could use it for the other great thing about wood is that it's got much better insulating properties than glass glass allows the transfer of heat energy quite readily so heat and cold don't transmit as readily through these wooden panels as they would through glass, which is a further advantage, make buildings with invisible wood windows much more energy efficient than those with the silica-based glass windows. Um, and is is the polymer that they use to treat it in the last step, is it really expensive or do they outline, you know, how hard it is to come by? Um, no, the, all of the stuff they used, they just bought so they didn't have to make anything special. It was kind of, it's an epoxy resin that they used. So right. um, everything that they did was pretty much off the shelf from the hardware store, effectively. And um, then my next question, Stu, is uh, when's it coming to Bunnings? <laughs> well, all I can say is I reckon probably pretty soon. There's a lot of uses for things like Perspex and other plastic glass alternatives, which this would effectively replace um, as a as a cheaper alternative. One of the best things about this process is because they use hydrogen peroxide as the bleaching agent, the byproduct of the process, um, hydrogen peroxide is H2O2. One of the oxygens gets uh, used up in the process of bleaching and what you're left with is H2O, which is plain water. So the byproduct of the bleaching process is just water. So it's a really clean production cycle to make this quite amazing new product. And it kind of makes me think, why did nobody think of this before? Amazing. 21st century, it took us to figure out that you can make wood invisible. Now, assuming this can be scaled up for mass production, as uh, as we've been saying, we may soon have a completely new building material, which can be used for construction, but also they can use it for things like Um, If you think of uh, photoelectric panels for solar electricity Mm. generation, instead of using glass for those, you could use these see-through wood panels, all sorts of applications, which probably we haven't even started to think of yet because it's such a novel concept. Across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Lost in Science. Hey, Stu, did you know that Sputnik and I share a birthday? I didn't know that. I mean, okay, it it wasn't the same year, but we both launched into this world on October 4. Sputnik's a few years older than me. Sputnik launched in 1957. Um, But there you have it. We share a a launch day. And and what year did you launch? (laughs) Which Which I've always thought, oh, we don't have to go into that right now. But anyway... (laughs) 
Rest assured, Sputnik's older. Um, so Sputnik, of course, was the first artificial satellite to be launched into orbit. Um, oh, and what a huge accomplishment it was for Russia. They saw it as a massive technological win at the height of the space race for the Soviet Union. Um, and this week, Sputnik is back in the news. But this time, there's an additional letter. It's Sputnik V. And um, I hinted at what the V was for in the intro. Is is the, Have you guessed it yet, is, Stu? Is the V for vaccine? The V is for vaccine. It is Sputnik the vaccine. Um, apparently, this is sort of like Russia trolling America um, as a direct reference to the fact that Americans were very surprised and taken aback when they heard Sputnik's beeping from their from its orbit. And they wanted to pay homage to that moment in time, that moment of sort of brilliance on the world stage of Sputnik. And they think it's going to be the same with this vaccine, with the Russian vaccine. So there you go, Sputnik. This is in addition to the to the other vaccines, the Pfizer vaccine and the AstraZeneca vaccine that are already uh, being produced by other um, companies and, and governments around the world. Um, but the Russians did actually develop theirs earlier than some of the other ones. Yeah, which is, I think, why they're calling it um, the... Sputnik yeah. vaccine, because they, they claimed that they were the first ones to develop it. The, um, and as I'll talk about, um, they were the first ones to uh, give it to their, their um, population or start giving it to their population. And there was, some, there was some controversy around that. If, you're, if you cast your mind back about four or five months, which I know is hard because it feels like it was about five years ago. Um, but this Sputnik vaccine, um, it... It is big news this week because the Russians have just published new research in the Lancet of all journals, you know, mm. leading journal, the Lancet, showing that their vaccine Sputnik V is 91.6% effective against um, COVID-19 disease. 91.6%. It's that's, great. Yeah, that's really high. Um, it's very high. It's very but, high. So... Now I was reading something the other day that said you can't, you know, we shouldn't we shouldn't compare one study yeah. with another study because they've all got slightly mm. different um, methods of of, course. of, yeah. of how they test these things yeah. and how they measure them. But but that's that's well up there with the other vaccines that are out uh, that are already being used. Yeah, yeah, that that seems to be in the same ballpark as the Moderna vaccine and the Pfizer vaccine, which are both the messenger RNA vaccines, mm -hmm. and by the looks of it, is a lot more effective than the AstraZeneca vaccine, which is um, also in the same sort of group of vaccines as this one. So, yeah, so today I'm going to bring you up to date on what this Sputnik vaccine is, what the research is saying, what and what the global imp implications are to have another vaccine at our disposal. Um, so starting with what type of vaccine Sputnik really is. So like I said, just like the AstraZeneca vaccine, the Sputnik vaccine is delivered to the human immune system by an adenovirus vector. So in this 
particular circumstance, it is a human adenovirus vector. So the adenovirus vector, it acts like a vehicle. So it delivers the genetic material um, from the COVID-19 spike um, into a cell. Um, uh, in this case, they took the adenovirus and they removed the gene that makes the adenovirus infectious to our cells and they swapped it in um, swapped it out for a gene um, that codes for the spike of the coronavirus. So the then inserted adenovirus is safe for the body but helps the immune system to react and produce antibodies and um, create an immune response protecting it from further infections uh, whenever it sees that spike again. Uh, apparently human adenoviruses are considered some of the easiest to engineer in this way and have become very popular as vectors. So there you go. Uh, now, the, as I was alluding to before, the quite controversial part of this vaccine is um, when you cast your mind back a couple of months ago, uh, as everyone knows, you know, we've all been on this journey together of looking for, of, of hearing constantly about all these vaccines and what stage of trial they're up to. You know, you go through vaccines having to go through phase one and phase two and phase three trials before they are approved for use in general population. And these vaccines are getting developed at, you know, as some people like to say, warp speed anyway. So um, reducing time um, or like cutting out these trials and giving them to the population before they've gone through each of those stages um, could possibly be dangerous. So the phase one and two trials will show whether a, vac whether a vaccine can actually mount antibody resistance in a subject. Um, and then you've got your phase three trials, uh, which are there to test the vaccine on a really large number of people and they're to show whether the vaccine is safe to use. Uh, and it's normally done using randomised controlled testing on thousands and thousands of people. Um, and we've seen that with the Moderna vaccine, the AstraZeneca vaccine and the Pfizer vaccine. Well, unlike all those other vaccines for COVID-19, Russia registered the use of their Sputnik V um, or Sputnik V, as it's really called, before the phase three data even was released. So they were like, no, we don't need to, you know, wait for the phase three data that shows whether it's totally safe to use on large numbers of people. Um, we're just going to register it and start giving it to people who really need it within the community. So this happened um, late last year. And um, yeah, it means that they were pretty much administering the vaccine to the population, including, I think, most of the scientists who work who work at developing the vaccine. So they got the vaccine first. Um, but then also, you know, there was news reports of Putin giving it to his daughter and all these other people getting it as well. Do you, do you remember that? Yeah, I vaguely do remember that. But I think, you know, I mean, it's, it's probably good... Um, good PR for the scientists who develop mm. it to say yes, yes, putting their hand up and saying, "Oh well, I'll take it." Um, that that kind of would suggest that you know, if they think it's all right to take it themselves, then that would yeah. certainly be an encouraging um, sort of exercise yes. to to get people to go, "Oh well, if they're taking it, maybe I'll I'll put my hand up for it too." True, true, true. What I will say though is that. It, it is going against, you know, one of the one of the, the solid tenets of medical research, 
of not, you know, going through these phase three trials before you start actually authorizing this vaccine for use in the general population. You could be putting people in risk, at at risk, uh, and it it raised some questions about uh, any data that subsequently came out about the vaccine, especially what we know about the Russian government and a track record of uh, manipulating information about medical research, whether it be, you know, the Olympics doping charges or, you know, Novichok poisonings um, and that, that sort of thing. So people, people were a bit um, taken aback and um, critical that Russia would, would bypass that step. But having said that, they didn't completely bypass it. It's just taken a little bit longer for these phase three results to come out, and that's what has come out this this week. Yeah, so um, they did actually so. they did actually go through all the steps. They just weren't publicising the the information they had necessarily. It is interesting though, because as far as developing developing them quickly, I'm pretty sure the the AstraZeneca one, uh, which is the Oxford vaccine, they had the uh, the the effective agent in that vaccine they had that back in february last mm. year um but they went through all of the steps to test it before they claimed that they had a vaccine which is you know what that's that's the process that we should be going through um and it was you know it was yeah. a lot quicker than everyone expected because yeah. there's a lot of willing volunteers who are who are happy to sign up to try it out there's a lot of money being thrown at it which is you know, it's the reason why it's all happened so fast, I think, more than anything else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, as I said before, things changed this week because The Lancet, which, as you know, it's the world's leading medical research journal, published a peer-reviewed research of this phase three data of the Sputnik of the Sputnik vaccine. Um, and like I said, it's a, it's incredibly promising so the trial involved 22,000 people taking part in a randomized double blind placebo controlled trial and it was across 25 hospitals in moscow the adenovirus vaccine was given twice uh, 21 days apart and now the analysis of the efficacy shows that it is 91.6 percent effective against protect or at protecting against covid19 disease uh, so like all the other vaccines that we have, it it we we know that it protects people from COVID, but um, there is no evidence that it can stop transmission of the virus. So we know that you know you're much less likely to get the disease, but we don't know if you'll actually stop spreading the disease if you get this. Um, the other really good part of the vaccine is that it doesn't need an as cold um, a chain. Um, so it doesn't need that minus 70 degree freezes that the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine need, um, which means that it's going to be a whole lot easier for developing countries and remote areas to be able to access and roll out to their population. I think there are around 50 countries who've already signed up for the uh, Sputnik vaccine, which which is incredible to, to think that countries who may not, you know, who have been outbid by many richer countries might actually get access to um, a vaccine from a different source which is which is fantastic and also just wanted to let everybody know your gentle reminder um, maybe that if you want to read any of the 
articles, especially around COVID-19 research, especially to do with vaccines. You can you can do it yourself. They aren't behind a paywall on The Lancet at the moment. You can find it uh, and it is called, I mean, I think they might need a catchy title, but it is called Safety and Efficacy of an RAD26 and RAD5 Vector-Based Heterologous Prime Boost COVID-19 Vaccine, an Interim Analysis of a Randomized Controlled Phase 3 Trial in Russia. So everyone, everyone so, took that down really quickly just then, I'm sure. Wrote it down to <laughs> check it out later. Just right, yeah, just right. Sputnik vaccine Lancet. And I'm sure you'll find it. <laughs> um, but yeah, look, maybe maybe it's the second coming of Sputnik. Um, but despite early obfuscation by Russia and some serious messing with the protocols of medical science, the world may just have another extremely effective vaccine against COVID-19 reporting for duty, ready to launch, just like the Soviet satellite it is named after. That's all we've got time for for this week and we are rapidly running out of time. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook. We are broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. And if you would like to tune in next week, Chris, Stu and Claire will get locked in science. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.